might want to buckle up, baby. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. Why not? Solo, a Star Wars story. Welcome to Unloved Sequels, the podcast that brings you a blow-by-blow critique of Hollywood's worst-rated sequels. You know, the ones that some people think should never have been made. We're your hosts, Michael, say hello. Hello. And I'm Claire. In this episode, we're digging into the backstory of a lovable rogue and his hairy beast of a sidekick. And I'm not talking about Michael's past love life. Oi! Michael. (laughs) I couldn't resist, sorry. Uh, Michael, we've been putting off covering one of my favourite movie franchises, for a very long time, but it is actual Star Wars Day. And so you're being very kind and throwing me a bone with a side story come prequel to the main saga. We're still not mm-hmm. going to dare tackle the main no. saga movies. We'll save that for a, a day when we're very drunk or very brave. In the meantime, <laughs> what's the movie? We are heading to a galaxy far, far away to learn how our favorite smuggling duo becomes friends and won their craft. This is solo. I'm glad this is not the theme tune to that movie. No, it's not. But I don't know that the theme tune to this movie. Right, the theme tune, sing the theme tune. So solo opened on May the 25th, 2018. It finished at the box office with 393.2 million against a budget of 275 million. So that budget is probably not ooh. including like oh that's ooh terrible. And the budget that's is not, not including return. kind of like promotional work and advertising and you know it's wow for a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um, and this is pre-COVID as well. So it's before the time when people were like, oh, I'm just going to stay home and watch it on streaming. Yeah, this is before. I, this is, I think this might even be before Disney Plus. I think you're right. So. Ooh. I think you're right. So I didn't want to compare it to Skywalker Saga movie. No, that, that would be fair. investment <laughs> since 1977. <laughs> so it's 41 years of learning about the at, by 2014, 2018, sorry, we had had 41 years of Star Wars mm-hmm. movies and yep. the Skywalker saga. So I was like, let's not compare it to that because that would be a really no. fucking arsehole move. So I'm starting to compare it to a Rogue One. Yes. The Star Wars, that Star Wars story made $1 billion against a budget of $200 million in 2016. Oh. So that was the nearest comparable. So, wow. And that's yeah. quite substantially better performance. And also didn't have any established characters in. There was no Solo. Yeah. There was no Chewie. There is no. like there is no established characters in Rogue One. It's a sub-story about how they got the plan for the Death Star. No. But that was the gamble. And that paid off. Now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So Solo ended at number 24 in the charts in 2018 Worldwide Box Office. 
The top five grossing movies of that year are number five is Aquaman, number four was Incredible 2, number three was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, number two was Black Panther, and number one was Avengers Infinity War. All five of them are made over a billion dollars. And they're all franchise movies. And they're all franchise movies. And yet this one is just kind of dwindling down at what, did you say 24? So, no, so it took 393, oh, 24 in the chart, yeah. Yeah. 24 in the chart, yeah, way down the bottom. So it's not that, oh, people aren't, because it's a franchise movie, people aren't seeing it or because it's a, a, I don't know. I think this shares a lot in common with those top five, I think is what I'm trying to say. So what's, yeah, what's the difference? The difference is all top five had returning original cast members, while this one, they took a character that was established and had 41 years being played by some other person. And they decided that they're going to recast everybody, make them younger. Yeah. Um, But also that year, to just give you a picture of what Disney owned Marvel. So for all those movies, Avengers Infinity War took, I think nearly nearly 2 billion or over 2 billion. Um, And Black Panther took a billion and a half. This is the crazy situation. Don't worry about Disney. They made money that year with theme parks. Mm -hmm. And they also, so this was a massive kick in the gut for them now expecting that. In their mindset, it's like, this has been number two and number three with Black Panther. No. Mm-mm. Also, this is the year where we had some other legacy sequels from Disney, what concluded of Mary Poppins Returns mm-hmm. and Christopher Robin, that mm-hmm. both made a higher percentage of money than Solo, but still majorly underperformed from what yeah. they would do. Yeah. Solo went on to make an extra $56 million on DVD and Blu-ray home release. Compare mm-hmm. that to Rogue One, that made 88 million on home. <laughs> this movie can't catch a break. No, because I thought, I thought, oh, maybe it made money at home release. Maybe people just didn't yeah, see it in yeah, the movie yeah. theater. Maybe it was just too much of a jammed box office and people were really selective of what they saw. And by that point, were we getting a little bit kind of like fatigue with Star Wars movie? Because Disney was, did, we had, by that point, we had two Skywalker movies in the, in the new sequels. And we uh-huh. had Rogue One. So maybe people were a bit, a bit like, oh, too much Star Wars too quickly. Uh, no, people just didn't want to watch this movie, unfortunately. They just didn't watch it. No, Rotten Tomato. Oh, weird. Critics is 69% and audience is 63%. It's so fucking close. Not it is, actually. Closer than we've seen for a while on, on movies that we've covered. Yeah, because normally if you get, look at a franchise, sometimes the critics come in really low and giving it a rotten score. Like a lot of the new Jurassic World movies, they've mm-hmm. got really bad. But then the audience is in the 90s because the audience has got what they wanted from it. They've got their characters. They've got the contents they want. They don't really care about a really thin storyline plot. But I think everybody just went into this movie thinking, why? Why? Yes. So we're going to ask ourselves today, why, Claire? Why, why do we have Solo? So I'm going to hand over to you, Claire, because I feel like you're going into the biggest, going into a huge deep dive, because by the time this film got released, there was so much leak and shit on the internet about this production and how horrific it was. Mm-hmm. That I think we might get some answers. Why? During your why? little bit of the podcast. Why? Well, this is the thing. So let's start off with talking about the cast and creative team, as I always do. In, ten, in terms of returning 
cast. Uh, although you said it had no established cast returning, Junis Suatamo, who plays Chewbacca in Solo, had actually shared the role with Peter Mayhew in The Force Awakens. So that because he was in mm. poor health for some time, he died, Peter Mayhew died in 2019, but he was in poor health for some time prior to that. So yeah. his last Skywalker saga movie, Peter Mayhew shared the role because I'm assuming he wasn't physically up to the rigors of that kind of scale of production by himself. Mm. So there was a tiny little teeny half step of crossover in casting between yeah. the saga and the this anthology movie. We've also got Warwick Davis, who is a returning cast member, but playing a different character. I think he's been in almost every Star Wars property that has ever existed. Yeah. Um, it was actually his his 10th appearance within the Star Wars universe. Um, he was in Return of the Jedi. He's been in loads of Star Wars stuff. He really needs um, to give some roles to some other small people because he just like I comes know. and steals he's, them in. Yeah. I mean, he's very, you know, he's good. He's good. Yeah. I have no beef with Warwick Davis. But, and also he's quite well known now. This is the issue. So yeah. you, it, it is a little bit confusing, I would say, but particularly because we first see him as part of the whole um, Emphis Ness reveal. So when he takes his mask off, you're kind of thinking, oh, are we supposed to go, oh, it's him? But it, no, it's not him. It's just the same actor. It's not yeah. that any of the characters that he's played elsewhere in the Star Wars universe. So it's mm. it's a little bit confusing. But yeah, yeah, so Warwick Davis is back. Anthony Daniels is in this movie. But not as C three PO. No, he plays another. He plays another. <laughs> just plays another droid, doesn't he? Yes. So his his character is called Tack. I think he's done a couple of other little sneaky, non C three PO cameos outside of the saga movies, um, and this is one of them. I was more shocked that I found out the other day he's straight and married. Well, that's because you're basing your idea of him on his performance as C three PO, who I think is probably not straight and married to a lady droid. This is true, but can I, I don't think I've say... ever seen him in anything other than no, exactly. C3PO. So been... so it... As a young guy who's into movies and growing up watching Star Wars, I feel gay baited. I felt like <laughs> I had become <laughs> an icon for the gay community played by a straight man. That would not fly today with the younger generation. Wow. Just saying. Do you know what? I have to say, I would have pegged C3PO as ace rather than gay anyway, to be honest. I think. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's campus tits, but I think sexuality probably isn't on his agenda. I don't know. He seems quite touchy feely with R2D2. That's true. They do have a special bond. He seems to bond quite quickly with other droids that can't say no. Have you noticed? I'm just a droid who can't say no. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Sidebar there. My musical. (laughs) Selling the rights. (laughs) Also, uh, so we've also got Kieran Shah in this movie. He plays Karj in this. Um, He is also in episode eight. He is in Rise of Skywalker. He's in Rogue One. He's in Force Awakens. Um, but again, like Boris Davis, all his different characters, he's just, I guess there's like a little group of actors who they just go, well, let's just get them in because they know how Star Wars works and they'll just get it. And all and of the other supporting will artists like, will Aah. follow. Yes. And then um, the big return. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The big return in this movie is uh, Ray Park as Maul who is not credited as Darth Maul in this movie. He is credited as Maul. And he is voiced by Sam Witwer in this 
movie. We're going to talk about hit this, lady. You're just gritting your teeth and shaking your head slowly from side to side. We're going to talk. Go, is this the time? Is this the time, no, Claire? No, no, oh, it's, okay. uh, it's too early. We're not going to get into the mall conversation now. We'll we'll do it in a little while. Grab yourselves a cup of tea, kids, because we're gonna we'll come back to that one. New cast. Obviously, there's quite an extensive new cast. I'm not going to go through everybody, but the key new cast members are Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo. Han, it's Han. I'm sorry. Han Solo, don't call him Han, he'll get very upset. Donald Glover comes in as Lando Calrissian. We've got Woody Harrelson as Beckett, Amelia Clark as Kira, Tandiwe Newton as Val, Phoebe Waller-Bridge as L337, Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss, John Favreau doing the voice of Rio, Erin Kellerman as Enfys Nest. That's most of your main cast. The movie's directed by Ron Howard. The movie credit for direction is given to Ron Howard. We will discuss this briefly in a moment, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's credited to Ron Howard. The movie's written by uh, Jonathan and Lawrence Kasdan, who are a father-son writing team. Lawrence, who's the father, wrote on The Force Awakens. He wrote Return of the Jedi. He wrote Empire Strikes Back. He wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. He wrote The Bodyguard. He was also director and a producer on a lot of those movies. And then Jonathan Kasdan, the son, he created the Willow TV series. And there's also quite a lot of um, casting crossover with that series. And the original movie of Willow was written by George Lucas and directed by Ron Howard. So there's a lot of little connection. I'm not saying that nepotism rules in Hollywood. I'm not saying it's not what you know, it's who you know. Nepotism babies, as Jamie Lee Curtis said the, recently. Yes, the, the Venn diagram for this movie is not far off being a circle, is all I'm going to say. Yes. Now, in terms of the production itself, the appearance of Han Solo as a, a younger character was first considered as early as pre-production on Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, way back in 2002. There was an early draft that uh, featured young Han Solo involved in uh, the Battle of Kashyyyk. I think is how you say it. There's three Y's. I don't know how you pronounce three Y's. Later on from that, there was talk of a live action TV series, which was going to be developed by George Lucas. And it was going to be called something like Star Wars Underworld. It would have showed us Han's first meeting with Chewbacca and the winning of the Millennium Falcon from Lando, which is basically what we see in this movie. In 2012, about three weeks before Lucasfilm became part of the Disney empire, Lawrence Kasdan had a meeting with George Lucas and Kathleen Kennedy about relaunching the franchise. George Lucas gave him a few uh, movie ideas and he ended up being commissioned to write the screenplay for a Han Solo prequel story. But then after the company had been sold to Disney, so this is only a few weeks ago, I'm a bit confused as to why George Lucas started these conversations. He must have known that Disney was about to buy the company, surely if it was only three weeks away. But anyway, so they'd got all of this lined up. And then after Disney bought Lucasfilm, Lawrence Kasdan was hired to help finish the script for Star Wars The Force Awakens. So Jonathan Kasdan was then put in charge of working on Solo while Lawrence Kasdan was elsewhere. So that's how they ended up co-writing on it. Solo was supposed to be released after The Force Awakens, but because of the delay with Lawrence Kasdan leaving production and solo to work on Force Awakens and then coming back it, it it kind of messed up the scheduling on that and so it all got switched around um and that also led to the first development of Rogue One I guess to kind of fill the scheduling gap yeah. while they couldn't produce solo principal photography began in January 2017 at Pinewood the working title was Star Wars Red Cup 
see what they did there red cup solo thanks george lucas what a genius. genius. Um, original directors were Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who you may know from their previous works, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, The Lego Movie, 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. Now, don't get me wrong. I love all four of those movies. Yeah. But we're producing a new Star Wars movie with the directors of 22 Jump Street, 21 Jump Street, The Lego Movie. Mm. I don't know. That would, I would go, oh, really? Okay. So anyway. I think that would have been a more interesting thing. I think they would have jumped the shark. I think they would have done the whole thing they were going to do with Jaws 3, People 0, the, the original plan for Jaws. Yes. yes. Uh, I think, I and also kind of like even looking at Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, the directors of Game Night, they recently did Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And though that really badly performed in the box office recently, Ouch. the reviews and critic scores have been amazing for it. Yeah, so you really like, enjoyed it, didn't you? I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was amazing. It was really funny, but it was also quite adventurous as well. And I was like, yeah. while I was watching that, I was like, I wonder if the guys who originally were supposed to do Solo would have done this with Solo. Yeah. So I think their intention was to make it much more lighthearted, much more of a rom- Like a buddy movie. I suppose. And a, yeah. And a buddy Absolutely. movie. Like, yeah. Absolutely. But the director's... We know, because I've already said that Ron Howard has the directing credit on this movie. They got fired. Um, Lord and Miller got fired uh, basically because there were issues with um, conflict between them and Lawrence Kasdan and Kathleen Kennedy. Like you said, Lord and Miller thought they were coming in to make a comedy film. Lucasfilm brought them in to add a comedy touch to what they had already got. It's very similar to the Jaws 3 story, actually, now you mention it. You know, they Mm. were brought in to put a spin on on it, but they went further than the the studio had intended and it didn't work yeah. for the studio. Lucasfilm also felt that they were kind of encouraging a bit too much improvisation from the actors and it was taking the story too far away from the Kasdan's script. And obviously uh, Lawrence Kasdan was quite unhappy with his script not being replicated exactly as he wrote it. So Lord and Miller would shoot as per the script and then they'd do additional takes of something that was a bit looser so that they had options to kind of mix things in. There were also issues, I think, as well as doing that, they they would also do fewer takes maybe than Lucasfilm would have liked so that there were fewer options when it came to editing the movie of yeah. trying to make it how Lucas might have wanted it to be. I mean, directorially, well, we do- George Lucas is officially not involved in this movie. No. But, well, I don't know. think it's a bad thing because we've all seen the prequels apart from Avengers of oh, the Fist. The other two movies don't. are awful. That's the whole funny thing. So if you're making a light-hearted comedy you do take less shots because you want that kind of you you don't want the scene to feel so tight the more you this take, is the thing you more you the more takes you do the less funny it yeah, becomes it becomes less funny because, because the so actors you, want, it, you just lose some of the the magic of it so yeah so i think that's the whole thing they were making this kind of they wanted that kind of like natural loose feel about it and exactly. George lucas wanted this tight yes it was just two styles that really don't work well together so um there was a bit of a hiatus in filming while they took a kind of review of what's the situation how are we going to move forward and they decided to move forward by removing lord and miller from production ron howard was then brought in to take over directing for the the remaining there were three and a half weeks left of scheduled principal photography and then five weeks of scheduled reshoots so ron howard came in and took over for that. He ended up reshooting around 70 to 80% of the film, which is less than required. You need to have the the, the Directors Guild agreement, which I think is, is basically like a union, require a director to have directed 90% minimum of the film to automatically get 
a directing credit. Yeah. Ron Howard ended up directing less than that percentage. So they basically bought out the original directors by giving them executive producer credits in order to give the new director a directing credit. The movie did get a nomination uh, at the 91st Academy Awards for Best Visual Effects. Oh, yeah, I can believe that. It's a good looking film. So I I would like to have known to be on the fly on the wall when George Lucas sat down probably with Ron Howard went, bitch, you're going to do this. I put you in America of graffiti. You wouldn't be who you are now <laughs> if I didn't make that movie. So you're going to go in there and make Han Solo. Well, I don't quite get why George Lucas didn't put up his britches and go, I'm going in. I'm going to make the movie I want to make. Why has he sent Ron Howard in? I think, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for all Star Wars fans and I'm not going to even try because it's such a vast community. But I know that there are Star Wars fans who aren't as keen on George Lucas as they used to be because of the way he's reworked the franchise over and over and over. And maybe people you would be... talking about even, yourself? Maybe people would... I, what? No? I can't, sorry, you're breaking up there on Zoom. I can't, I can't hear what you're saying. Um, I just no. think maybe there are fans yeah. who would be less inclined to see a movie that he had directed. Or maybe it was... You know, don't forget that we were still working on the, the sequel trilogy, yeah. was in production at this point. So he would have been very focused on that. It's probably yeah, more likely I, the Can you imagine, though, to just say, for George Lucas to say, I've taken over directing this movie. This is my passion project. This is my farewell movie to the Star Wars saga. I've always wanted to tell this story. And now I'm telling that story for you as a goodbye. Marketing. Star Wars fans, like him or not, Star Wars fans yeah. will be like, okay, we'll accept this other guy as Han Solo. Because we want to see George Lucas's farewell letter to the Star Wars saga. Well, that's not what happened. He got no, Ron Howard. Who yeah. actually, you know, Ron Howard is a very good director. So let's it was not, amazing. Let's not and make it sound is, like we haven't got the best guy because he is a very good director. And um, the funny thing is, his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, yes. has directed a few episodes of The Mandalorian that are fucking has fantastic. She? They're the best episodes in all the seasons. She does that like one episode a season and they are amazing episodes. Ah, interesting. Mm, so she's obviously learned from those around her. Yes. Would you like to hear some alternative casting options for this movie? I would love to. Okay. So in January 2016, they released a list of actors that they were considering for the role of young Han Solo. This list included Miles Teller, Ansel Elgort, Dave Franco. Dave Franco, can you imagine? Uh, look, I, again, I love Dave Franco, but in this movie, maybe not. Jack Rayner, Scott Eastwood, Logan Lerman, Emery Cohen and Blake Jenner. In March 2016, it was reported that Alden Ehrenreich, Jack Rayner and Taron Egerton were on the shortlist. Um, Taron Egerton oh, could have been interesting, hmm. but I'm, I'm trying to think great. where he was in 2018, what, what we wouldn't have had. I suspect we might not have had Rocketman if he yeah. had been Han Solo. I still think he's an underused actor. Like I recently, I recently watched a Tetris movie that's on Apple TV and fantastic movie. He's fantastic in it. Mm. I do think he's completely underused. I don't know, 2018. It was after the sequel to Kingsman. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Probably You're probably right. Know. Probably Rocket yeah. Man. I think Rocket we might Man have was... lost out on Rocket Man if we hadn't had, if he'd done pre-pandemic, this. That was pre-pandemic. So I think, yeah, Rocket Man's probably about 2019. Yeah. Along that part. yeah. Other actors who auditioned for the role included Rami Malek, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, mm. Tom Felton, and Charlie Cox. 
Who's Charlie Cox? Oh, Charlie Cox. Charlie Daredevil. Cox is um, Daredevil, yes. He's good. He's very good. He is. I mean, they're all good actors, but... A- yeah, some of them I could see it might have worked. Some of them I'm not convinced. For the role of Kira, we had Tessa Thompson considered, Naomi Scott, Zoe Kravitz, Kiersey Clemens, Jessica Henwick, Adria Arjona, all considered, and of course, Amelia Clark, who ended up playing the role. Yeah. Michael K. Williams was originally cast as Dryden Voss, but wasn't available for the reshoots because he had a schedule conflict with the Red Sea Diving Resort. Williams stated the reshoots for his character were to match the new direction which the producers wanted Ron to carry the film and basically they, they had to do a lot of reshoots for that character because the yeah. way the character had been filmed previously just didn't fit with the direction that the movie had been taken by Ron Howard. So yeah. I think he was needed for much more of the reshoots than had originally been anticipated and so he wasn't available. Mm. He wouldn't have been available until November 2017, which would have... Yeah made it tricky to then get the movie released in May 18. So they recast the, the role, they they changed it around and cast Paul Bettany, who I think yeah. is brilliant in this role. He but he is. He, he is, is a seriously that, underrated you know, actor. Everything he does is great. Peter Serafinovich, he was set to reprise the voice role as Maul. So he, in, in the prequel trilogy, Ray Park has always been the body of Darth Maul. In the prequel trilogy, he was voiced by Peter Serafinovich. For the Clone Wars and Rebels animated series, he was voiced by Sam Witwer. For this movie, they were going to bring back, well, they did bring back Peter Serafinovich. He recorded the dialogue. We've heard this story before with lots of movies as well. Um, He was informed by Lucasfilm after the film's premiere that his part had been re-recorded by Sam Witwer. Did they invite him to the premiere? Because that would have been a kick in the teeth. I don't know, because Sam Witwer was at the premiere. So he clearly knew, well, he'd recorded it, so he knew he was going to be in it. So whether that, I don't know. But the when I did my research, it said that he was told after the premiere. Mm-hmm. It, but we've had this before, though, when, when voice actors have turned up at the premiere and then realised they're not in the movie anymore. Why they're getting yeah. invited to the premiere if they're not in the movie anymore, I don't know. But yes, they they had decided that they wanted to keep, which kind of makes sense. They wanted to keep the continuity with the Clone Wars and the Rebel series because that's yeah. the people that watched that are the people that knew that Darth Maul hadn't died in yes. the prequel trilogy. So um Okay, so, so it kind of makes sense. On it, let's just have that. Should discussion. we do it? Should we why do it? Why the fuck why is Darth Maul in this fucking film? <sighs> right. So Here's, here's the thing. It's time for me to fess up a little bit because I have always considered myself a bit of a Star Wars nerd. And certainly in terms of our friendship group, I am the biggest of biggest Star Wars fan probably out of yeah. us. Mm-hmm. But that kind of only extends to the Skywalker saga movies. The Mills, the I haven't movies. really, yeah, I haven't really explored much of the extended Star Wars universe. I'm desperately trying to get my son into Star Wars a little bit. And then I suppose probably we'll start watching the Clone Wars series and maybe the Rebel series then because... It, yeah. But it, like, like the point at which those series came out was a kind of a, a point in my life where I wasn't... I didn't have as much spare time for watching deep dive shows, like side spin-off shows to a franchise. You're giving me a weird look. Like, why wouldn't you make time really? for that in your life? Why wouldn't you make time? No, I didn't. This was when I was getting married and starting my family and I had a very important job. And and now my kids are at school and I work from home. So I have time to watch movies and go on deep dives and talk to them. 
talk to you about them. Um, but yeah, 10 years ago, I didn't have that kind of time. So, um, so I, I had to go on the deep dive now to try and get my head, because I was as surprised as you when Maul mm. appeared on the screen. I was like, but I mean, he also, quite categorically died in yeah. The Phantom Menace. As far as I was concerned, got when you're cut in half, that dead. is you dead. Apparently yeah. not in the Star Wars universe. That's not how it works. Before we go on to that part, this is also a first time watch for you. Yes. Yes. I'm a, like I said, bad Star Wars fan. Um, I, I'd seen, I've seen the others. I saw Rogue One. I think Rogue One I saw in the cinema. But yeah, but this movie, Solo, I have not, I had not seen until I watched it for this. Not for lack of wanting to, but it's just that thing of I'm a bit crap at going, okay, I need to make time to watch this movie. Like when it first came out, I was, I was going to watch it. I was going to watch it. I was going to watch it. And then something else, something shiny came past my line of vision and I forgot. And then suddenly four and a half years later, I was like, oh shit, I still haven't watched Solo. Let's do it for the podcast and I'll watch it. Probably all the Avenger movies that are coming out at this point, and you're like invested in that storyline, and you're like, "Well, I'm yeah. gonna go back in time and watch Solo." Yeah, I should have, I should have when... just stuck with Solo, to be honest. Anyway, yeah. so I did a bit of a, a bit of digging around. The first thing I did was look at the chronology of the movies because I thought, "Well, is is this movie? Where does this fit in the timeline? Is this before hmm. Phantom Menace? Is that how come Maul is alive in this movie?" No is the short answer to that question. But I'm going to talk yeah. you through the timeline anyway, because I had to learn it. So now you do too. Please do. There's a set of abbreviations. I'm going to apologise now to, to Star Wars fans who know more than me. There are lots of you. I'm probably going to get this a bit wrong. I'm not trying to upset anyone. It's just all very complicated. Please <laughs> I'm doing don't my send, best. Please don't send hate mail to Unlost Sequels. Just send me a direct message and I'll give you her direct email because I don't want to... <laughs> No, no, no. Look, I'm happy to get you. Look, send feedback. Let us know. If I've got something wrong, let us know. But just be nice, please. Don't don't be unkind because okay. it's 2023. We're all about being kind now. Hashtag be kind. Um <laughs> there's there are a set of abbreviations, much like in in our world that we live in, we've got uh BCE and CE, I suppose is that some Joe's Getting confused because I instantly was thinking of the Christian version, which is BC and AD, but the the secular version of it is BCE before Common Era and CE Common Era, which is uh, before and after Year Zero. Yeah. Um, in this, the same principle exists in the Star Wars universe: BBY before the Battle of Yavin, ABY after the Battle of Yavin. The Battle of Yavin is the battle during which the first Death Star was destroyed. So, point zero in that timeline is Episode Four: A New Hope. Yes. Anything yes. prior to that is BBY. Anything pre po- post that is ABY. So the Phantom Menace is 32 BBY. So 32 years before A New Hope. I'm not going to go through every single movie in the franchise, but Solo is um, the little prologue section is 13 BBY and the main plot is 10 BBY. So we are yeah. give or take 20 years after the Phantom Menace, but still 10 years before A New Hope. Right. And Does that's that make sense? Called, that, yeah. And that area, if I'm right into thinking of my research, that's called the Reign of the Empire. So yes. Has a little, little weird title that has to do with something and it has little symbols. And I tried looking and understanding it and my brain hurt. So I this is up. the thing. This is the thing. If it's not stuff that you already know because you're that much of a fan, trying to find it out because there's so much information. Yeah. I think if 
if you found it out as you go along because you're a fan and every time there's a new property comes out you do a little deep dive and find out how it fits into what already exists I think that's a bit more manageable but when you come to it as I have as a kind of like this whole thing exists and I've never really dug into it that deeply I've just sat and enjoyed the movies um so trying to get your head around so many different timelines and so many interweaving bits of story. It, it's a bit overwhelming. It can be quite confusing. Because when um, Claire first watched it, and I spoke to Claire afterwards off mic, I said to her, why, why is Darth Maul in this? And then Claire looked at me and went, and she was like, but before Phantom, I was like, no, Solo's in this film. So this takes place before episode four. And the blood just rushed from Claire's face. Everything <laughs> I was so confused. She, everything that in her brain she had computed as like, oh, that's why Maul's in this. Yeah. I had yeah. just popped with a single pin and she was I'm just a like. bad Star Wars fan. <laughs> I was like, no, Claire. Yeah. Anakin Skywalker is in a Phantom Menace. And I yes. had to break it down. And yes. Claire, Claire because knew all he's this. older. Because yeah. he is the father of Leia Organa. <laughs> who is admittedly younger than Han Solo, I think it's fair to say, that there is not age parity in that particular couple, but there's not that much disparity that he was like 20 before Anakin was born. That would be creepy. Mm. Um, Yeah, so that didn't answer my question of how is Maul in this movie, because this movie is set well after Maul got cut in half by Obi-Wan. So I did a bit more diving in a different direction. And yes, he was seemingly killed by Obi-Wan in Phantom Menace. But he then was, he ended up with, uh, see, I still can't explain it. I think <laughs> I understand. And then I try and tell the story and I, I, it doesn't work. Um, he got robot legs is the short version. <laughs> okay. He got some robot legs and then he had like a whole load of, so anyone who has watched the Clone Wars would just know that he had survived because he features in the Clone Wars and in the Rebels series. But for those of us who haven't watched those, it was a bit of a kind of, what the, what? And then, so then since then, since he got his robot legs, he had bec- he became a, an independent criminal mastermind. So he's no longer working for the Empire. Right. He is, he is, he's, he's the head of Crimson Dawn in uh, by the time we're at this movie and he continued but he's he's still considered as obi-wan's arch enemy they have various battles through the clone wars and i think when he does ultimately die it's at the hands of obi-wan and also in the arms of obi-wan i think they have some kind of little um les miserables eponine death scene where he dies in obi-wan's arms and it's all very romantic See, that's the gay baiting I'm looking for in these <laughs> movies. <laughs> I'm sure there's fan fiction. Google it if you feel brave enough. Oh, I I'm don't sure want there's to. fan fiction. So you're telling me that at some point, Darth Vader and Darth Maul were yes. in the Empire, not, not fighting to, alongside each other, but they would have been surviving and being alive at the same time. Yes, yes. So Where Maul the fuck is that movie? Well, because by then I think Maul had detached himself from the Empire and was was an in, independent contractor, yeah, rather than being be, part of the then, Empire. But then, if he was an independent contractor, he would be an enemy of the Empire. What would mean that they would have been? He would have been an enemy to yeah Darth Vader. That would have been a good movie. Yeah. Well, so the, the originally the intention had been that uh, Maul was going to continue to be the big bad through the rest of the prequel trilogy which would have made much more sense but but that that idea got abandoned and instead they cut him in half and threw him down a hole 
So, yes, I, I think it would have made much more sense if if he had continued as the, the bad guy through all of those prequel movies. But then maybe that wouldn't have made sense for him to have been in this. But I would, yes, I was a bit like, why does it need to be more? I suppose the fact that he he's independent from the Empire. Because originally I thought, well, why couldn't it have been um, Sidious or Palpatine? Yeah, or potentially Vader, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I guess they were all still very much part of the the Empire. And by this stage, Crimson Dawn is not part of the Empire, I think, is yeah. is the thing. They are just a bunch of independent bad guys. Um, Crimson Dawn sounds like a fabric softer. <laughs> it does. It does. I was going to say mm, it sounds like sounds a feminine like... hygiene product, but I think your <laughs> version is slightly better. But yes, it does sound... A bit. It sounds like quite a nice... Crimson Dawn sounds like a nice thing. No? Looks red. In my eyes, it's red. A red liquid. So it could be a feminine hygiene. Yeah, but anyway. (laughs) Um, But there are little clues. So I've done a rewatch. Having having never seen this movie until like two, three weeks ago when I watched it for this. I did a rewatch this morning to kind of refresh my... Because it's a few weeks. Because it was a few weeks since we've seen it. Normally we have like less than a week between me watching and making my notes and we record. And then I had school holidays, my kids were home and then my son had chicken pox and it's all been very inconvenient. And it's meant that we couldn't record. So we've... Yeah, so I thought, well, I'm going to do a rewatch this morning and just refresh my memory. And there are little clues through the movie. Dryden Voss's weapon, his little handheld little mini blade thing, has... It Mm -hmm. glows both ends red just like Darth Maul's oh. lightsaber, double-ended lightsaber. Because yeah, it, yeah, so lightsaber. so Maul trained Dryden Voss, Dryden Voss trained Kira is the kind of rule of command um, yeah. in terms of Crimson Dawn. So, um, yeah, so Dryden's weapon, when you know, kind of go, oh, yeah, that looks a bit like, that looks like a little mini version of his lightsaber. The scars mm. on his face, they don't explain in the movie how he got his scars. He didn't actually have them. It's not makeup. It was all done in post-production. They were put on afterwards. But they are quite reminiscent of Darth Maul's kind of Rorschach-style markings on yeah. his face. There's little echoes there. And the big clue, which is almost thrown away, is um, there's a bit where Kira takes out a guy with some martial art stuff. And L3 says to her, that was amazing. I've never seen anything like that before. What was that? And she says, it's Teras Cassie. Teras Cassie, I think she says. Which she, she And she said, oh, Dryden taught it to me. Well, that is Darth Maul's preferred fighting style. Um... So if, if you're enough of a fan to have known that, that would... Yeah be the thing that would make you go oh hang on and then maybe it wouldn't be such a surprise later when he comes mm. around in the movie so it, it 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 makes sense it all ties around but for your kind of common or garden fans like ourselves who have seen the the saga movies but haven't maybe delved too far beyond that or yeah. you know haven't haven't watched so many of the spin-offs that was a real kind of double take moment mm. I guess. Yeah. And yeah, it certainly was for me. So in terms of the rest of the movie, what did you think? Do you like? I think this film looks fantastic. Yeah. I think it's dark. It's gritty. I think it's a little I bit like... too dark. Maybe that's my middle-aged eyes. I was a bit like, could we just have a couple more lights in this scene? Oh, no, I liked it. I liked all the puppetry in it. I felt it was, I really liked the darkness of it. I do think they overspent on cast. I think some of the cast could have been played by smaller unknown actors like you can see that they've had this budget got so inflated by the Woody Harrisons and the yeah 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 you know I mean I'm just a bit kind of like why they should bother paying them their price when you could have just got somebody cheaper to it I didn't see the point in having 
them in those roles. Yeah. I just feel like it's so difficult to watch this film today because you know it's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Like I saw it when it first came out and I was like, oh, where are they going to take this? And then by the end of the second week, I was like, this film has bombed. They're taking this film nowhere. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's visually stunning. I think I think I would have liked to see the buddy movie they the two original directors would have taken it. I yeah. would have I think I think that would have been a breath of fresh air because then you would have been a bit like, oh, they tried something new, it was experimental. This is why it failed. This doesn't feel new. It looks different, but it still feels like a grittier. It's less humorous and more gritty yeah. than the original Star Wars movies, you know, and also the yes. prequels and the sequels. And it doesn't feel, it feels like he, he, Solo to me is the bastard child of the franchise. What I thought would end up being Rogue One, but it didn't, it ended up being this one being the Rogue One. I think the cast is great. I think they all work their ass off. I feel sorry for the guy that played Solo because he's like, he's fucked up his career by taking on this role because he's yeah. now in Cocaine Bear. Um, so... <laughs> you said you like Cocaine Bear. I haven't watched it oh, yet, but you said oh, it was good. It's fantastic. It's a great film, but he has gone from playing solo to being. In yeah, 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 yeah. That's a bit of a drop off, isn't it? From I'm I'm Han Solo. Oh, now I'm in Cocaine Bear. The funny thing is, yeah. Harrison Ford this week is prepping to get ready for the new Indiana Jones movie. Turned around and said this week, Chris Pine or Chris Pratt is not going to take over the Indiana Indiana Jones mantle when I die. Indy died because I think of the solo movie. Because mm. when solo came out, I mean, out, to be fair, he was very supportive of the movie. 100%. He was very supportive when of it. When he came of... out, he, go, he goes, I've had my time as solo. It's time for a new person to do it. Yeah. And now he's gone. And I thought he would have the same approach with Indiana, but he hasn't. Now he's come out and says, No one's going to be Indiana Jones apart from me. Because I think he feels like the solo movie has now soured, has a sour yeah, taste yeah, yeah. in his mouth with this character because but they already did a young indiana jones series do you remember in the i guess it must have been in the 90s i used to watch it on tv i loved that show it was so good it was a really good tv show i also didn't think one thing i didn't like about this film is giving han solo a love interest that you know never pays off yeah i was on first watch i was like i don't really i felt like we were cheating a little bit on princess leia by him having this love story because and then I four films of their love story and yeah, beyond yeah, yeah. his death. And yeah, you're it still felt like... really weird seeing him have a have a love story with someone that wasn't Leia. And I kind of objectively, I see that it makes sense for him to have had this past, and that's part of what makes him so guarded and what makes yeah. him, you know, he 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 isn't particularly open to falling in love with Leia. It happens despite his best efforts, rather than yeah. you know, he never pursues her. And I guess seeing him get betrayed although i'm not convinced betrayed is the right word but in his eyes betrayed by kira Mm. kind of makes sense of that but equally i'm like does it all does there always have to be a love story yeah that's the whole thing though because in my mind now we're not not, there's nothing past solo with that character until before a new hope so there's solo a new hope in my mind he's got he's won the falcon in that game yeah yeah, and then he goes off, and then a new hope happens. So that's for my mindset. That happens as a quite big turnover when Solo takes place over a couple of years. Yeah, no, there's a ten-year gap between Solo and a New Hope, and so we know nothing of what happens. No. 
everything that 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 we we know needs to happen before a new hope has happened by the end of solo yeah so what happens for those 10 years what is he just drifting around space with chewie in the millennium falcon we don't know there's there's jerking off yeah (laughs) yeah it yeah it's it's a shame i feel like it's a bit it's an opportunity wasted and i yeah i agree with you with the the kira love story I was thing. A bit like, there's a there's a bit of ick about it that doesn't quite sit with no. me no i would have it would have been ironic to actually just make her that like they were orphan brother and sister and there wasn't a love interest and they were yeah and the every other aspect of the story would have worked just the same yeah they would have totally had to have understand. changed apart from literally taking out the kissing they wouldn't have had to have changed any of the script no, I think and them as brother and sister would make more sense. And also it'd link into the whole Leah and Luke kind of relationship yeah. as well. So it would be like representing that kind of, you know, friction. And also as a person who has siblings, you have siblings, mm-hmm. having that portrayal at the end where she goes off from your actual like adopted sister would probably be more heartbreaking than a partner that you haven't seen for 10 years because your sibling is still your sibling yeah yeah happens so having that adoptive sister kind of feel and maybe having them as foster kids together or something would have you know yeah yeah and like yeah i also think that people would be more willing to fight for their to go back for their younger sister than they are for an ex-lover yes so kind of like to go but i left my sister behind she's not my real sister my adopted sister but i promised i would always look after her yeah you know i think i agree i think that would make much more sense and it would yeah they wouldn't they would have had to have changed nothing in the script really l337 is my spirit animal (laughs) i'm just putting that out there no l3 is brilliant i love l3 voiced by penelope waller who is also amazing who's gonna be Indiana Jones's goddaughter in the next Indiana Jones movie in Dial Is Destiny. she? Yeah, she's a female companion in it. Love her. So, I'm really glad that her career is taking off. I've never she's seen so, her. so good. What's that TV show she did? In Fleabag. England? I've never watched it. Was it good? Brilliant. So it started off as a one-woman show, which yeah. I saw not on... I didn't see it on stage, but it was, um, it was recorded and put onto NT at home. Right. So I watched it on that which is like a 40-minute, what I think, 40, 45-minute one-woman show. And then that got developed into a TV series. It had two series on TV. It's amazing. You should watch it. I don't oh. know if it's still on iPlayer. I'll or find find where you can watch it and watch it. It's I so, think it so had good. A U- I think it, you had a US release because they're putting all of these movies now. So I assume that she's appealed to the uh, to American audience. So I'm pretty sure yeah. it must be over here somewhere. It's, she's, it's it. so good. Um, and obviously now she's focusing a lot more on writing. So she she did because she she wrote Fleabag as well as starring in it. Yeah. She also wrote the first she wrote the first series of Killing Eve. She oh. did some script work on uh, the most recent Bond movie. Oh, I see. Cool. So she's very she's got what I like about it. She's got that very unique look. Yes, of which you somehow ball. see in L three, even though yes. physically, I mean, the thing is, physically she was there. It was motion capture. She, she, it, it's not, um, 
it's not voiceover. She was there. She recorded the scenes and then motion captured L3 over her. And you can kind of see that in the way that L3 moves. You can see her physicality. I, yeah, I think L3 is a brilliant character. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a so, brilliant I, actor. I, that's one thing I came away from this watching. I was like, when she got uploaded into the Falcon, I was a bit like, oh, that's good work. We can't have her back then. I was a bit like, I really wanted her character to live on. I wanted to take her on having that kind of BB-8, C-3PO kind yeah, yeah, of, yeah. you know, ca- character for, well, I can always drag it from Well, this is the, the thing. Falcon. This is kind of skirting around one of my beefs with this movie. Um, For the most part, I like this movie and there will be things as we're chatting that I will talk about that I enjoyed in this movie. My my big beef with this movie is the way the female characters are mapped out. Yeah. Including L3. She's the first explicitly female aligned droid in the yeah. entire chronology of this universe. And she doesn't survive the movie. Yeah. It's bullshit. She's one of the strongest characters. Well, she in does the survive. Movie. She's just inside the Falcon. Yes, but she she's Yes, but we've seen the Falcon. What's the word? In... She's a, she's a, she's a part of the ship now. If they gave the Falcon her voice, like and my, Oh, don't you know, give George Lucas ideas. He'll go back and re-edit it. No, no, no. But they could do it. They should have done it. If they had this all this plan planned out for Solo, during one of the sequel movies recent after Solo, they could have easily had Daisy Riley, because she was she's a mechanic, repairing the yeah, Falcon. Yeah. Suddenly the voice comes out after the Solo movie. So they yeah. could have done it at that point, because she, she repairs the Falcon, because she takes over the Falcon from Solo. So that would yeah. make sense. And, they, and then they could have that... Oh, I was a robot drink, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. And we brought the Solo movie into it. This, But this is the thing. And it, yes, yeah, she's part of the Falcon now, but we've seen the Falcon since in the chronology. And there's we've seen none of L3 in the no. Falcon. It's it's her skill set is there. I like yeah. that it's like she's the reason that they get through the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, her navigational skill. But, it, it, but it's still Han that takes the credit for it. For the rest of the franchise, he's the one I made it. I made it in twelve parsecs. Not the Falcon helped me. Not the the sentient droid that we implanted yeah, you, you, into you the ship. You don't. That's such a big mo- scene in this movie that you don't ever later on in any of the pre- sequels and prequels. They don't bring up L three at all, do they? No. Like, at any point. So it's no. a completely wasted. So yes. So I feel she's treated really badly. Val, why get Tandiwe Newton in to play Val? Why get yeah. Tandiwe Newton in to play Val? Val is such a wasted character. She barely makes it, what, half an hour into the movie? Oh, and she just blows herself up. Which doesn't make sense. I watched no. I watched that as part, obviously I rewatched the movie this morning. And then I went back and rewatched that scene again. And I was like, why does she do that? Why does she blow herself up? There's no, it doesn't make sense for her no. to have sacrificed herself in that way. Yeah. And she is, to this point in the movie, the only with the exception of Kira, non-white male character yeah. we have seen. And the first thing she does is die. There are so few people of colour in this movie. Do we really need to blow one of them up? There are so few no, strong agree. women in this movie. Do we really need to blow one of them up? And as you say, why get in? I realised that the whole thing of, you know, it's because it's a prequel, all bets are off. Anyone can die apart from the ones that we know can't. So we know that Chewie yeah. has to make it. We know that Han has to make it. We know that Lando has to make it. That doesn't mean you have to kill everyone else. No, exactly. But they did. Which is basically what they did. So I feel bad for L3. I feel bad for Val. I kind of feel bad for Kira because I feel like she's made out to be more of a bad guy in this movie 
than she really is. There's a really important bit where, you know, where she says to Han, the point of this, the point of this game is not to win. The point of it is to just keep playing for as long as you can. And that's all she's doing. She doesn't want to be the bad guy. She, she's, she doesn't betray him at the end of the movie. She sets him free. He doesn't realize it necessarily, but she knows that if she goes with him or if she takes him with her, she's condemning him to whatever life she's going to have. And so she's she's kind of made those contacts with Maul and, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, they say at the beginning, how did you get out? I didn't. She's still owned by, by this regime. She can't get out. Um, and if she tries to run, they will find her. And if she brings yeah. Han with her, then he's involved in it as well. I want to see the Kira sequel movie. If we're not going to see any more of Han's story, I would love to see more of what happens in Kira. And I feel like this movie is kind of more of a a Kira origin story than a Han origin story, really. Mm. So I'm, I, I think it's a shame that she's not a bit more explored yeah, I think it's a shame that they don't make more of the women in this movie. Considering that at the same time as this was happening, over in the the saga movies, we had Ray becoming a really central prominent figure. We had Leia becoming a general. You know, the 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 female characters were really taking their space in I in the Star Wars think, universe. I also think that since Disney has taken over the franchise. They are inserting more female more female characters in important roles. I even feel with Daisy Ridley with as Ray. I don't feel like they've used her to her best abilities either. I feel like she's just coasting along in their movies. Yeah. Like I do feel like all of it's a bit like meh. Well, I suppose if I'm gonna be really cynical about it, and why not? We're already halfway there. This is a franchise that is traditionally loved by men. Yep. Um, possibly more straight men than non-straight men. True. And now maybe C-3PO is... straight in real life. Wow. Star Wars is dead um, to me. <laughs> I wonder if there is an element of let's bring in some female characters to appease the wives and girlfriends. Yeah, no, I agree. We I talked agree. about this before in other movies as well. Um, but there still isn't that much emphasis on... I mean, you know, the most fleshed out character, female character in the movie is L3. I yeah. would not be surprised. I'm not aware of her having any credit for having done so. And I haven't found anything that tells me that she did, but I would not be surprised if Phoebe Waller-Bridge had some input into her script. Oh, yeah. 100%. Given that she is such a strong writer and given that it just the way that L3 speaks is so different from the way that anyone else in this movie speaks. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if there was a bit of polishing of script for that character by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. But that, yeah, then the Val is just such a nothing character. Kira, she's got a bit more to her, but really considering she's so central to the movie, there's, there's not much about her. And I feel like we need to, to see more. Not that I'm necessarily encouraging the Star Wars universe to expand any further. I think it's already quite expansive. But if we are going further with it, which it looks like we are, I hope we're going to see more female characters occupying more space and and occupying it in a better way. The female characters in this season three of The Mandalorian, I know that you are playing catch up with that. I am. uh, Are fantastic. Good. They're, they they're a lot more stronger and I mean I Lizzo's in it I know that much so it can't be that bad mm, that was a low point <laughs> oh really <laughs> she's just a cameo okay, well, she's a cameo I know I know she's not really in it she's she's a cameo she's married to Jack Black so 
yeah, that's that was a weird episode, and Christopher Lloyd was with that episode as well. So that was a bit weird. Oh, was he? Oh, yeah. oh I should look so, forward to it. But what did you um, what did you like about the movie? What did I like? Look, I think the performances are good. I I think Paul Bettany's great. I know you you said you don't love him as much as I do in it, but I think he's very good. I like Woody Harrelson. Um, it's it's again, it's a bit of a wishy character. Like he, there's not much to him. He's a very caricature kind of character. Yes, I mean it's Woody Harrelson, isn't it? He plays that role all the time. But he's very good at it. I like that. Although they don't really do much to establish the many of the the ancillary characters I feel like they did put work into the relationships into particularly in Han's relationships with Chewie and with Lando yeah I think from the get-go those relationships are really established and we see the same relationship that we know they're going to have later on in the franchise I like that there's a few little fanboy nods um well I say a few there are loads but there are some, you know, there's some in the script that I thought were quite nice. Um, there's, I think in every movie that he's in, Harrison Ford as Han Solo says, I've got a bad feeling about this. And in this one, because we're seeing this naive version, fresh out of the packet of Han, he says just before the Kessel Run, I've got a really good feeling about this which I thought yeah. was quite a nice twist. And then after the castle run, we have that little exchange with Lando where Lando says, I hate you. And Han says, I know, which I thought was really cute. And I yeah. quite, I quite like that. I love that they gave Han his, his moment to absolutely categorically shoot first at the end. Yeah. I mean, these are all really like, on the one hand, they're, they're quite cheap nods back to the original movies but it's you know that particularly because Han shot first has become such a contentious issue with the reworkings of the original trilogy I like that they were just like no we're not pulling any punches with this he's not even going to let him finish the sentence Han shot first done the other thing I like is that particularly I hope this is going to make you feel better about finding out that Anthony Daniels is straight I like that that we've got a really heavily queer coded character in Lando I think it's it's not explicit. You're making faces like, what are you talking about, woman? He's not queer. Does he not read as queer to you? No. He flirts with everyone he meets. There's the whole That's thing of, is whore. he in love with... Yes. Well, yes. And, but and you... he's also a gambler and he's also somebody who wants to... I don't think, for my opinion from that, is I think that he would flirt to get what he wants, but I don't think he would... You don't think he would back it, was... it up? Yeah. I think it's all just words to get what he uh, wants. Ah, all mouth, no trousers. That's yeah. interesting because to me, he read as as a very as queer coded as char- character as you're going to get in a major Star Wars movie because they you know they hint at he may or may not have romantic feelings for L three. She obviously thinks he does, and we see that that little their moment at the end, their little Eponine moment where she dies in his arms. You can see that he is really deeply affected by that. The way that he he flirts with Han, I don't know. To me, that that doesn't seem like just part of the game but maybe it is i don't know i mean the, I part the... Of the game because he's always trying to find people's weaknesses that's the whole point with the gambling this, i think yes. it's trying to find and if you think if you're going to gamble with somebody and they know your weaknesses they're going to know how to trick you he's a con yes. artist this is true this is true interestingly jonathan cadston who is the son of the father-son writing duo he mm. uh did an interview with the huffington post and they asked him whether Lando would would identify as pansexual. 
And he said, I would say yes. And then with regard to the, their portrayals of Lando, he said there's a fluidity to Donald and Billy Dee's sexuality. I mean, I would have loved to have gotten a more explicitly LGBT character into this movie. Now, I would have loved to have seen an explicitly LGBT character in the movie too, but I don't think that's going to happen, no. particularly now that Disney own Lucasfilm. I don't think we're going to oh, get... I don't know. The way things are going down in Florida, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney stick one in there just to say to Ronda Sanchez, fuck you! I mean, it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. So clearly that the there was a bit of intent from the writers, but again, to the best of my knowledge, I think both of those writers are straight. So it, that's... Maybe it's yeah. a straight person's version of what a queer person looks like. Yeah. Um, but no, I like this movie. I think this is another one of those where ob- objectively it's not a good movie. Yeah. I think there's a lot of missed opportunities. It doesn't It doesn't tell us anything about Han that we didn't already know, I think is my big issue with this mm. movie. Apart from the, the storyline with Kira, which, as we've said, could have been established in in a number of other ways. There's nothing in this movie that explains why he's the way he is, particularly because he's already that way before this movie starts. Yes, we see him meet Han. Yes, we see him, him meet Lando. Yes, we see him win the Falcon. But that all happens in exactly the way we were told it happened. So it doesn't really bring anything new to that story. And then it leaves that 10 year gap of, okay, well, what, as far as the canon that we know of Han Solo, nothing happens to him for 10 years now between these two movies. We're never going to get anything filled in from this movie because obviously it didn't perform well enough. I think the, the intention had been to carry on producing yeah. Han content. I wonder whether it might have done better as a TV series. Well, actually. that's my point exactly with it. And I just don't understand why Disney now is producing TV shows. Like we've got The Mandalorian, what is great. But then mm. we've got a prequel series to Rogue One. Andor. Yeah. Got Andor. And we've, they've done Obi-Wan. They've done... Obi-Wan. I was like, and out of all of them, this guy who plays Solo, I'm not being horrible, but he's probably quite cheap. <laughs> and they have everything they have on hand to produce a TV series from there. And now they have this movie that could easily just act as a pilot for a TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Han and Chewie adventures, that's what we should see. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, just call it Falcon. And then just get like that. And then just get some action adventures. Everything and follow a Doctor Who format. Get them everything a week. They're fighting some other baddie, 40 minutes. It doesn't need to be this big, long storyline. We know where his character's going. But we can have each week, we can have a different adventure with Han and Chewie. Yeah. And, you know, and the Falcon. We just need that. That's all we need to link these storylines together. Yeah. You know, it's, I just don't get why we have this movie that exists now. Yeah. And now we can't do anything with it because Disney's like, oh, that's fucked up. That's not what we wanted for this. Let's we just have to alone. leave. Let's just leave that whole strand. But this is yeah. one of the biggest franchise of all time. You have yeah. made Disney has made sequels to bigger films that have flopped before. Tron flopped. Yeah, we got Tron. Leg- we got Tron Legacy. Mary Poppins waiting fifty years. Did Mary Poppins Returns didn't perform? Why can't we get a TV series based on? This? I think a TV series would work so well. I think they're more more willing to except another solo if it was in a different media format like TV mm-hmm. and yeah. it wasn't a movie. I think it would work really well. Get da- Bryce Dallas Howard to take her from her dad and 
direct a TV series of it, I think it would work. I think it would. I think it would. I think the music in this movie is really good. And yeah. obviously music is such a key part of the Star Wars universe, particularly in, in its cinematic offerings. Um, yeah. But even in, in terms of the TV shows as well, actually, the music is so key. And I've always loved Star Wars soundtracks. I could listen to Star Wars soundtracks all day and be very happy with my life. But I just think we need to give a little bit of an extra mention to John Powell because I think he's done a really good job on this movie. It sounds really yeah, it Star Wars-y. John Williams was not involved. John Williams wrote the um, the main Han Solo theme, The Adventures of Han, which is the first track on the soundtrack mm. at the very beginning of the movie. But he didn't write anything else from the soundtrack. Obviously, some of his themes are used. We hear a lot of the original Star Wars theme when, when we sing the Millennium Falcon. There's a really, uh, I really like the way that John Powell uses the Imperial March in this movie. There's yeah. a, in quite early on the scene where um, Han is signing up to join the Imperial forces. And we've got that kind of major key rendition of the Imperial March, which sounds very different from what we've heard in yeah. other versions of the Imperial March. And then it just segues straight into where, when when the movie switches to the battle scene, the music switches instantly and we're back into the minor key. And it's very much the, the version of the theme that we're familiar with. But again, it's it's changed. There are differences. It's not a complete lift of John Williams's version, but it's the way that they've switched from the major to the minor keys to match the way the movie went from, oh yes, join the Imperial forces, son, come and sign up. We'll have you flying in no time. And then the next thing we see is him flying across the battlefield. I just think the music works really well. Um, no, he did a great job. I really enjoyed the music as well as it. It, did, it was very big. It, it catered to what the movie wanted it to do. And it also did, it gave a fresh take on the Star Wars themes, like you said, but without plagiarising John Williams' mm. original score. Well, look, you, it's, I think it got the balance right. You have to have some of the old themes yeah. in this movie. Of because it like is a Star Wars movie. Exactly. You still got to have exactly. that, but you can bring a new tone to it and a new aspect to the characters for that yeah. purpose. And I think that's that's been done really well in this movie. So it, we're taking that all into account. Yes. How many... Hmm, what shall we say? How many Millennium Falcons would you give this movie? Well, there is only one Millennium Falcon, but... I, I'm going to give it a, unusually, I'm aligning myself with the critics. I'm going to give it three and a half out of five. I think it's it's better than meh. Mm -hmm. Like if we're saying meh is that kind of two, two and a half out of five middle ground. I yeah. think it's better than that. I've, the thing is, it because we do this podcast and because we watched, I watched this movie for the first time. For this podcast yeah. I watch it with a very critical eye mm. and the critical eye is telling me this is not a great movie but then the Star Wars fan in me and the the person who just likes to sit and watch movies sometimes had a really good time watching this movie yeah. I enjoyed it I enjoyed spending a couple of hours back in the Star Wars universe seeing something that I hadn't seen before even yeah. though it wasn't telling me anything new um, it's far from perfect, but it's far from bad. And I would quite happily watch it again at any given point. Yeah. You know, I've already watched it twice in the last month. So, yeah, it's a movie I could watch again. I'm, yeah, very happy to give it three and a half. How about you? 
I would give it three out of five. So also along those critics and audience scores, um, I think they've got it on the point. The thing we're going to realise is this movie should be a pile of shit just due to the production history it went through. Yes. Change of directors, yeah, and yeah, writers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and direction of the movie. This film should not work just basically due to its history. And it does. And what Rod Howard did was he took something that uh, what the studio said wasn't for them, we don't know, and then recrafted the movie what he got employed to do. Um, I think he did a great job. I love the puppetry work, especially like the whole big uh, caterpillar swamp creature thing at the beginning. I thought it was really kind. Lady Proxima. Yeah, oh my God, amazing. She looked fantastic. I loved all of that element of all of the puppetry in this. I feel like it's a lot more dark and grittier and far more mature than the George Lucas prequel. Yes. Um, You know, I think that I feel like it was trying to step in direction, doing a sidestep to mention with Rogue One and Mm -hmm. the sequels that we're getting today. And I don't think it's a bad movie. I think that it's just going to get over time and as time goes on, it's going to get forgotten about. I think this is going to be Disney's version of those TV Ewok movies. Like the Ewok movies. That came out in the 80s. I feel like people, like I don't think people talk about this film enough. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's a shame because it's a really well-crafted movie. And if Disney has anything or Bob Iger at Disney should do something with this movie instead of just getting some money back for it, make a one-off mini-series so we can wrap this up. Yeah. People will watch it. I'd watch it. Yeah. Mm. So that's solo for you. Listeners, please take a moment to rate us and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes and tell us what you thought of the movie. You can leave us a comment. You can email us on unlovesequels at gmail.com and you can find us on all the socials at unlovesequels. So it's goodbye from me, Michael. And from me, Claire. Take care, guys. Bye. Just recording you a little voice note with apologies to everyone for messing up the Darth Maul explanation. Um, basically, I reordered all my notes right before we recorded, which evidently was a pretty stupid thing to do because it ended up that some of my Maul notes got separated from the rest. So when we were recording, I didn't have all the information in front of me. Um, but I found it, so I thought I'd fill in the gap rather than just going, Ugh, he ended up with robot legs. Um, basically, after Obi-Wan cut Darth Maul in half in The Phantom Menace... Uh, Maul basically used his rage towards Obi-Wan to survive. He channeled that rage in such a way that he was able to survive being cut in half. Um, As he was falling, I think he managed to grab onto like an air vent or something. I'm not even making this up. This is legit what happened. He he grabbed onto an air vent and managed to kind of pull himself through the air vent and ended up... um, in some kind of dumping ground where he survived for 10 years eating nothing but vermin and uh, crafted himself some weird spidery legs um, and then after about 10 years of this his brother who we've never heard of before um, within the chronology of Star Wars found him and took him to then be healed and that was how he ended up with his robot legs so I'm sure that explanation makes it all make so much more sense than I did originally. You're welcome.